This is Tales from the Pros, where business leaders and influencers share their stories of inspiration, struggles, and successes. And I'm your host, Michael Giorgio. Hey everyone, welcome to Tales from the Pros, and this is Michael Giorgio, your host and co-founder of Imagine Ovation. My wonderful guest with me here today is an entrepreneur, international speaker, as well as the CEO and founder of Zuzor. He has been pioneering innovative experiential media software for the built environment to create edge experiences with movement-driven interactivity. He is considered to be one of the youngest thought leaders in the experiential field with multiple patents pending. Please welcome Tamuz Dubnov. Tamuz, thanks for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Very happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. I know. And I'm glad I I think I said your name right. So that's good. (laughs) Yeah. No, no. My name is Hebrew and the company's name is based on Hebrew. So I I made it too hard for people. But you did great. Well done. Awesome. Everyone uh, always messes up my last name, man. I'm telling you. So Giorgio, as as we we spoke earlier, it's Greek. Mm -hmm. And when I used to have teachers pronounce my, my last name, they would say Giorgiano. And I'm like, I didn't know there was an N where in my name. Where did the N come from? Yeah. yeah, where did the N come from? Okay, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> but uh, yeah. no, it's awesome having you here, and uh, I really appreciate it. And I know you're uh, also very busy. It's uh, we're in some crazy times now, and in in COVID or post COVID, whatever you want to call it. I think we're hearing something different every single day, right? Uh, all over, all over. Always the world. in flux. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. But uh, no, I really appreciate it. So, you know. Uh, uh, Tamuz, I know you have a, a great story and uh, we talked a little bit earlier, but if you can tell everyone, you know, how you really got to where you are today with, with, with Zuzar and, and where you came from and, and uh, just give a little bit of insight on that. Sure. Uh, let me start with just saying more or less what our technology does and then I'll lead to the story of how I got to building this technology. Okay, yeah. Um, experiential media as we define it is really media that is interactive and generated based on live input and in most cases we use like a camera or a depth camera like a connect that everybody's familiar with give or take um, where you move and then your movement is captured and interpreted in the content engine so I'm walking and the wall reacts or the floor reacts to my movement live uh, so personally my background is uh, in dance uh, I'm a professional dancer and also a circus aerialist Mm-hmm. But I also have a technical background, uh, graduated UC Berkeley uh, when I was 18 years old with honors in theoretical mathematics and computer science. Um, and this really started with creating those interactive walls, and interactive floors for my personal dance work and, and aerial work, where I wanted to perform on stage and I wanted to be that much more impactful. Mm-hmm. So if anything, you could say the inspiration came from, let's say, America's Got Talent that did it backwards, or amazing performers um, basically created this video and then synchronize their dancing and their movement to that video. So imagine rehearsing a million times to move in sync with more or less where the graphics are gonna be. Um, Me being, I'm gonna say lazy, I didn't wanna do that endless rehearsals and it also gives you a lot of room for error. Each performance you're slightly off, it'll look slightly wrong. Um, So my thought was let's flip it on its head. Okay, so if I don't have to synchronize to the video, maybe the video can synchronize to me. Okay, well, how do we do that? Um, well, machine vision is definitely a way to do that. And at first it actually started with you having to wear a wristband. And then as technology developed, um, we got into like full depth thresholding, which we talked about like the connect. Um, and then as we got further along, we 
introduce more AI, and now we can do it with an RGB on your uh, your laptop's webcam, um, where we actually learn to do what's called semantic segmentation on recognizing body parts. Um, so more and more kind of technology developed, initially built for dance, and honestly, uh, a lot of the requests were not dance. As it turns out, the, the dance uh, community is not really, a, they don't really have a budget. Um, and most of our income came from events that wanted to use it, uh, branding activations. We did work with hotels and I was speaking at a casino uh, conference in a few weeks. Uh, so really kind of broad. Started working with nightclubs. I wanted to augment the, the guest experience and, and this and that. And basically all the verticals that are basically location-based meaning that they survive off of offering a really great guest experience, um, whether it be a cinema trying to drive people in, especially with Netflix, whether it be a retail location trying to drive people in with online shopping, whether it be a hotel lobby experience trying to drive people in because of you know Airbnb, um, all those different industries that are investing in large format displays like LED walls that you're seeing in malls all over the place, now our software and our technology is coming in to not just have that big display, but make it interactive, make it an attraction, um, and make it you know experiential, as we call it. Yeah, and I could definitely see a, a very large demand in what you do, because for me being a marketer, I could tell you that getting the attention from people, the attention span is very, very small with an audience, yeah. you know that. And I think that's one of the oh, reasons yeah. why you're doing this, right? So it's, it's so important to keep the attention very high and to make them feel, make the audience feel involved and to, you know, mm -hmm. and to even, uh, you know, uh, you know, present some sort of inspiration during your presentation or even said, I know you said dance, the industry doesn't have a large budget. Actually, I, I, I agree with you because I'm a salsa dancer and a Latin dancer. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Okay. So I know a lot of these organizations, they're, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're always working on very tight budgets, but I know for like the hotels, casinos and, and companies, you know, large speaking events and all of that, um, they will definitely need uh, your type of product or software to keep the audience engaged and to um, to really take that that presenter speaker on another level. You know, connecting yeah. connect to the mm -hmm. audience. So I can I think what you're doing is awesome. That's great. Yeah, I'm gonna circle back to something you said initially about attention. Yes. Um, just kind of an interesting insight that we've kind of run into is the way people interact with our work, which is again, you walk up to an LED wall, it might be. Like, 10 feet wide, you move and it interacts you. Uh, we found that people react differently based on age and demographic. So imagine kids, which you think have the shortest attention span. They, first of all, they pick up this interactive like that versus wow. adults that actually move. It's literally reacting to them moving and they will think it's a video and won't realize that, it's, that, that there's an interaction there. Kids figuring it out amazingly quick. And then also it holds kids for hours, whereas adults, not so much in the sense, or let me explain a little bit. Um, we call it an experience. Every interactive look where you move and something happens is called an experience and you can have an endless different versions, right? Using different assets, putting different pictures, videos, text, um, and in between them, you can offer triggers where if you're on one experience, you can then trigger something else and you'll jump to a different experience or trigger a video to reveal or all these elements to kind of lengthen the interaction. With kids, like one experience, and it's maybe, you know, colorful, very, uh, I'm going to call it eye candy, will hold them. Literally, there's been events that were grown up events and happened to have like one or two kids. The kids will stay in front of that literally same experience for three hours. Endless energy, endlessly entertained. 
and you mm. think they have a short attention span, but this will hold them because it has that the visual element, but also the kinetic element that is very good at engaging them for some reason. And adults are experiences, they will not be engaged in one experience, but if there's triggers, they will constantly trigger. They always kind of, they want to get the next thing and next thing and next thing. And that's again, after you have to kind of break that barrier to make sure that they understand that it's interactive. Um, but it's just very interesting how the different age groups engage differently and how you think older has more attention, but it's a different type of attention. Hmm. Interesting insight we ran into. I, I could even see uh, your, you know, your software, your platform being in, you know, in universities and schools. You know, I think the mm -hmm. education sector could use something like that. You know. Yeah. Uh, actually, people reached out to see if it could be used for kind of special ed education that becomes more multi-sensory, kind of immersive. Right. Uh, we have not had a chance to go in that direction, but it's certainly on the list of the stuff to get to. Um, and then in universities and stuff like that, you mentioned earlier, uh, kind of the speaker and conferences, uh, our tool is really powerful for speakers. Like I've spoken around the world of conferences and all of my presentations have our technology as a backdrop where I move and the slide is actually interactive. So let's say I'm saying something and trying to highlight, I like lift up my arm and my arm moving is actually revealing that element that I want to highlight or covering something up or triggering the next slide. Um, so in that way in presentation, it also becomes that much more engaging because it's no longer kind of a static PowerPoint and someone talking. Now that person has to physically move and that slide is actually reacting in a part of the presentation in a much more kind of wholesome way. No, it's so cool because, you know, I, you know, this podcast is a business storytelling podcast. So I love storytelling. So your product, yeah. it takes like visual storytelling to another level, doesn't it? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Right. And the triggering so, always gives you like a narrative option that people can choose their own narrative. Mm, no, that's so cool. And I know um, I mentioned earlier that you have some patents pending. So uh, are, have any of those patents, uh, you know, gotten uh, fully through or completed? Uh, yes, we're waiting on one. We have a, a PCT international application pending. Um, and if we're talking, I guess, kind of business stories, a big part of our patent or IP effort in general was kind of to move from this service to the platform phase. Um, I guess kind of one explored lessons learned along the way for me, initially this started much more as a service uh, endeavor, which means built this for myself. I think at first a museum reached out that they wanted to use the tech. So, you know, okay, I set it up, customize it for them and all this effectively service, very manual, very kind of labor intensive. Um, and as we grew and we're trying to figure out well, how do we scale past kind of the people in this office, um, how to really kind of scale up to something that could be huge, we realized we need to jump to a platform and jump to being a, a technology tool. Uh, and that's where the IP came in and, and how do we grow this to be like the go-to. So a nightclub in Vegas hired an agency to build them something custom for $1.2 million that kind of barely worked and took forever to build. How are we going to be the alternative that's way, way cheaper and you can set up in five minutes? And then the nightclub can manage and they don't have to turn to that agency every time they want to change things. Oh, yeah. Um, so that was kind of a, I say it now like it's obvious. It was not obvious when we were <laughs> going through the motion. No, so I, kind of racking our brains. I completely get it. I think, uh, Tammuz, what you did was very smart because I know this from experience, owning a, running a, so a software service company, yeah. not, not product, mm -hmm. service. Uh, it's hard to scale. <laughs> service, <laughs> right? It's a lot of manual yeah. effort. Mm -hmm. It's not super easy to scale. When you have a product, something that's more tangible, right? It's, it's a mm -hmm. lot easier to scale. You have, 
it's easier to look at the data and to see what's working, what's not working. Uh, but when it comes to service, it's just, um, it's a lot harder. There's a lot of, there's not that product is easy. Product is also has its challenges, of course. Um, you know, and, and I know, you know, even just to get venture, you know, VC capital or angel investors or funding mm -hmm. is, is a whole nother beast to tackle in itself. I, I understand, but, um, you know, the service ind industry is just, it's, it's tough. I've spoken to a lot of founders in, in those two industries and they're just like, Oh my gosh. They're like going from service to product product was so much more. It was just, it was so much easier to grow. It had other challenges, of course, but mm -hmm. to, to scale and to know what to do next was just a lot easier, um, you know, than, than, than apply, you know, have a, a more of a service based model. So, but you know, yeah, uh, I exactly. mean, they can both be successful. It's just product can, can be, you know, maybe a little bit easier. So, um, yeah, I think the main difference is just how much as you scale, how, how does your team have to scale with it? That's right. And one product doesn't necessarily need to scale where it's more service. You will need to scale with it. Doesn't mean it's a bad thing, just a different kind of business. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And, and, you know, Tamuz, going back to your story or the, the really the, the purpose and the inspiration behind Zuzor, what made you start that business? Like, was it because of your background in dance and, and all of that? I know you're, you know, you have, you've won awards and dance and all of that. And that's, and that's awesome. I've seen some of your performances. They're great. Um, and is, was that a big part of your inspiration because of your experience in that area and you knew what the audience wanted and needed and you, you, you knew like the attention span and you needed the, you, you understood the market of interactivity and all of that. So how did you, how, how was, how, how did that uh, inspiration come about? I mean, yeah, I wish I had like a great story saying, Oh, I saw this business need and I built for that. I did not. Uh, you know, the wrong way to build a company is to have tech and try and fit it to the market instead of exploring the market and then building a tech for that. Well, I did it the wrong way. So mm -hmm. I built the very first version of Zuzor ever to work. Um, I built when I was like a, a junior or senior in college. I was 17 and it was one with the wristband. Um, so it was over the summer uh, and I built a system where I could dance and I had a wristband and suddenly my walls lit up with the projector and... Mm. I have a video, I look like a child, but it was great. It was like, that was where it came from. It came from me wanting to augment my personal performances. Cause I'm, I'm a dancer, I'm a choreographer, I'm an aerialist. Uh, and it really came from kind of that artistic passion, which, you know, has its own benefits where when you're building a, a tool and a product where you're your own client, it gives you a bunch of insights. Um, but it started there. It started with me building it for myself and then me like discovering the world. So nightclubs reached out to me and I spoke at a nightclub conference um, and I like learned that whole world. And I was, whew, okay, well, there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, and then events reached out and then I started speaking like event conferences and setting up at events and then retail came in and then I started lecturing at retail conferences um, and we had hotel installs and we had museum installs and I lectured about storytelling and interactivity and experiential design. Frankly, I was pulled in too many directions. Yep. And again, Service, right? Okay, how are we going to scale to all right. these different verticals? Uh, where, do, and where, then do focus? where do you focus? Discovered. Industry, which vertical? It's oh, hard. 100%. I know. Yeah. So hard. Focus is so hard because we look at, and each one of these looks promising, right? You look at trade shows where people use this in our booth, like people use our tech as a, like the exterior wall of their booth to draw people in, and it works great. And that's like a huge opportunity on its own. Okay, are we going to focus on trade shows? 
um, oh wait, you know, there's hotels they use it and hotels are also big and actually the museum is a perfect fit. And yeah, so that was hard. We actually ended up taking a step back um, and going to the pro audio visual industry. What they do is effectively they offer the, the video walls and the integration and the projectors and all the stuff that we had to set up as kind of an auxiliary to our main offering. Uh, well, that's actually their main business model. And now if we package it through them, well, suddenly they want to introduce it to like corporate lobbies um, and different corporate environments. Um, and they're able to do everything and we can kind of back off. And if we're talking like what the business will be, if I did one track, it would have become like a massive operation uh, with people coming in to install. And frankly, like a big team of graphic designers customizing all the time for different clients uh, versus what we are now, which is a, like a team of engineers constantly building the product and being kind of a more, uh, I'm going to call it pure tech company. I don't know if pure is the right word, um, but it just ended up being how I wanted to, to shape the company. So it happened essentially very, almost very naturally for you. It wasn't something like you came up with this business plan first and then this yeah. execution, this marketing plan. And then you're like, Oh, this is, I'm going to implement this. It wasn't like that. It was just more you, you had skills and let's just say dance. You were, that, that was your, you were an artist. That was your passion. But then you also were kind of technical and you were, you had this business experience and you're like, okay, you know, I, I want to, I want to show my performance better to the audience. Maybe I'm going to try doing this. This is going to, this is going to look better. This is going to create more attention and, and increase uh, engagement and interacti interaction and all of that. So then it kind of happened, it happened very, almost very naturally. And then you just started to mold it and focus yeah. it and create disciplines and just build a business and operation around it. Seems like what happened. Yeah, no. So I'm hundred percent an artist and hundred percent like extremely technical. I have a master's in artificial intelligence. Um, oh. And the, the business MBA part, I got like an MBA in the streets, which means that I had to learn as I go. Right. Um, those two expertise like naturally kind of paved the way for me to become like a thought leader. And then a the whole business part, I was lucky enough to have mentors and bring other people on board that had that expertise um, as I kind of picked it up as I went. Yeah. So I want to talk to Moose about the overall, I'm not that you're a startup anymore. I know you've been around for some time now, but the overall, the startup life, right? So going through that, the mm -hmm. entrepreneurship and, and, you know, the, the challenges, the struggles involved, what were some of your toughest challenges uh, when you were a startup or even as you were trying to grow and scale the company, what were some uh, challenging stories that you were facing and, and how you overcame them? Um, we already touched on a lot of them. Frankly, the, the challenge of focus when we're at the service mode was extremely difficult. Right. Um, and the, the idea was that we were doing that. We were in touch with lots of different verticals and effectively each one almost, well, they need their own copy. They need it's its own sales cycle. Dealing with nightclubs is very different than dealing with events, which is very different than dealing with hotels, which is very different than dealing with conferences. Um, as an overambitious startup, we wore all the hot hats and we jumped around um, and again, it was service. So it was like a lot of, we wrote some amazing proposals, um, to amazing companies. Uh, but it got to the point where like the RFPs were taking too much of our time. Yeah. Uh, so that the technology jump is hard. Like that's frankly, we were bootstrapped for a long time. And then when we decided, okay, we're going to make the jump from a service to, Hey, we're going to build this out to a platform. That's when we raised capital. 
So like okay. we need to make this jump. We need capital to breathe and, um, and do this. Uh, and that was hard too. Because of course you have this one thing you were doing and now you're raising money to do this other thing. Like, okay, you can do this as a service, but you're going to sell a platform and a tool for other people, but you don't have any like a history showing that it's going to be actually working for audiovisual integrators that are not you and don't actually know how all the pieces work. Uh, so that's, yeah, it's all kind of chicken and egg all the time. Like, okay, you need capital, you got to show yourself, but you can't show yourself until you build a product, which you need the capital for. Um, my only good suggestion there is just a lot of hustle. Uh, yeah. I'm lucky enough that I have the, the technical expertise to, to make it myself when needed. Um, even though now I'm more kind of lead our, our tech team and our development team rather than do it myself. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's tricky. It, it is, is tricky. It's a, it's a tough life, man. It's, I'll tell you, I mean, uh, I, I have a lot of friends, family, uh, just, you know, people that I meet, I encounter with and, they're always like, oh, I, I want to be an entrepreneur or I want to run a business so I can work less. And I'm like, it's opposite, my friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's opposite. You want to work more, then you start a business. Um, you have to be willing to put in the work. But it's not, I don't think it's just work ethic. I think there are a lot of different elements involved. Um, like you said, you know, it is, hustle is a, is a part of it for sure. But it's also uh, being smart, making smart decisions, learning from your mm -hmm. mistakes, uh, being efficient right? Uh, we talked about software earlier and, and all of that. And I think that's what you're doing with your, your platform, right? Your software as a service, it's, it's really, it's, mm -hmm. um, it's making it easier for people instead of to hire the, these AV teams to install and, and spend an hour or sorry, hours or days install all of this stuff into their, let's just say their, um, you know, their uh, uh, hotel or whatever it may be, you can do it a lot simpler. Yeah, and whatever event venue. So you know? So it increases, you're, you're increasing efficiency yeah. essentially, right? Yeah. And it's, again, it's stuff where we didn't even know. Like uh, when we went into it, I think a big learning, like this one install was very impactful for us. Uh, a hotel ordered an install for their lobby doing a Comic-Con hmm. in San Diego. Uh, so we came to install, but they have an exclusivity agreement with an audiovisual company. So it was honestly very complicated. We had to kind of step around so many toes um that we realized this is not like it would work much smoother for everybody if this technology came in through their audiovisual partner already um and frankly before that we just didn't know like we didn't know that there were all these like legal agreements between hotels and providers that would limit us from being able to do what we do uh but yeah so learning from mistakes a lot of trial and error um and then you call it efficiency i call it prioritization right that's uh, of course yep i agree yeah it's very important to prioritize your day because as entrepreneurs, you're all over the place. There's a lot, we, like we mm -hmm. talked about, right? There's a lot of moving parts. You're doing so many different things. You got to look at your books, your finances. You got to improve your sales. You got to manage people. You got to do, yeah. come up with new marketing ideas. You got product development. It's a lot of different things that are happening at once. So you just got to manage your tasks effectively, efficiency. That's, that's, that's great advice. Um, and, you know, right now yeah. where you guys are with- Prioritizing is key. Right. It is, it is, it's very, very vital. So where you guys are right now, Tim, is in, in terms of a financial state, uh, you're with investors. Do you have investors? Are they, are they more international investors? Are they, are they, is it friends and family? Are they, are they investors in, in, in Israel or, uh, uh, or the U.S.? 
Oh, yeah, so I personally relocated to Israel a few months ago. Right. Our investors are mostly from California. Okay. Um, angels, nothing crazy. Um, we were actually going to raise more capital, uh, and then COVID kind of crushed mm-hmm. that. Uh, so we are, uh, you know, being lean and, and managing and actually focusing a lot of our efforts into building the next iteration of our platform. Uh, but the, the investor relations is also, that's like its own, if we're talking about prioritization, that is its own full-time job. Oh yeah. Um, and then just like investor, like yesterday, was it yesterday before that? I sent like a long email update to the investors, which you got to do regularly. But even that, like, uh, it sounds so glamorous in the movie and you're like, Oh, you go and you, you pitch and then you pick up a check and Oh my God, you can go and, and build your product and, you know, conquer the world. Mm-hmm. It's not that like, not you like are meeting people. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. You are building relationships with people. Uh, these are investors that I personally like gave my word that this company is going to be huge. And I will personally like, like I will make that happen because I committed to these people and it's people that before they put their money in, like I got to know them. I had to get to know them because they're not going to put their money in on someone they barely met. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a first time entrepreneur. If you're a serial entrepreneur with a track record, um, then you have that track record to, to point to, but I'm, you know, still relatively young for an entrepreneur. So I had to, build their relationship. I had to impress them as a person. I had to show them that this is happening and not just happening. This is growing and they need to get on board now. Uh, all that, you know, takes time and people skills and much more than just tech development and, you know, artistic dance uh, inspiration. Oh yeah. And what efforts are you making right now to move in regards to thought leadership? Cause I know you're, <clears throat> excuse me, you've been becoming more of a, a thought leader in the AV space and audiovisual and, and, and uh, you know, even visual storytelling, all of that. So, are you uh, are just speaking? I mean, now it's different, right? You're probably doing a lot of things, most things virtually, but uh, before you were speaking mm-hmm. around the world, all of that. But are you, uh, you know, if you can give everyone just some, maybe some tips of how to increase your thought leadership uh, and your own branding uh, in, in the space that they're, they're trying to, you know, go in or the spaces that they're in already? Sure. Uh, there's a few ways to do that. I can tell you what I, I guess I'm doing now. So I, of course, spoke at conferences around the world and, you know, it's nice to get invited, uh, you know, like a, a keynote speaker, it's always nice and, and good PR and we showed our tech. Uh, with COVID, it changed. Mm. So we did, we were invited to webinars and those were great and got great attendance. Um, a little while ago, we did a, a lunch and learn. So we actually focused this time to build a tech in such a way that you could do it from your laptop. Um, and the idea there was, again, we're not going to be able to go and do a demo. Uh, so how can we rebuild our tech in a way that you could run it on your browser, on your laptop, and just mm. try it out? Uh, so now we did a lunch and learn for like an architecture company. And literally, I don't know if anybody was in the office, but all these people signed on to Zoom. We also send them a link. We're like, here's the, the URL, sign up. We made a special user account for this architecture firm. They could go in and try it out, which means literally on their screen, the camera, they could do different experiences. Mm. they can customize uh, so you have to be agile and right. uh, try and make the most of whatever the context is and then I also have that academic bit so like right now I'm working on an encyclopedia entry I was invited to be a contributing author to an encyclopedia about interactive graphics and, and okay. games uh, so contributing there uh, also doing personally mentorship I don't know if that's so much thought leadership is just kind of giving back uh, oh, it definitely yeah. is. Oh yeah, I, I I think so. 
Yeah. yeah. Giving back is always, is definitely. Yeah. Sure. Oh yeah. So that's cool. So, so web, you know, webinars. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you giving back uh, just with your experience, your, your, um, your knowledge. So, um, you know, even webinars and obviously podcasts and speaking events, lunch and learns. That's good. You know? So I think people can really learn from, from yeah, that. Speaking like, yeah, I'll be speaking at a, what is it? In a week and a half, I'll be speaking at a casino conference mm-hmm. again, virtually, but you know, speaking, um, so being out there, like spending a good amount of time filling out applications, like speaker forms. And then as, as soon as that goes, it's like, it rolls on its own. Like I was invited to speak in uh, China and from there, somebody invited me to speak in Hong Kong and from there, somebody invited me to speak in Ireland. And like, literally it's the same people. Cause when you're in the back, um, it just kind of happens. And I have this maybe good habit of, uh, when I, when I'm speaker at a conference, um, either I or my assistants, like we send out LinkedIn requests and messages to all the other speakers saying, Hey, I saw you're speaking. I'm speaking. We'd love to connect. Um, and then kind of prime that oh, I'll be speaking at this time. When are you speaking? Like all these ways, you're just kind of prime the interaction. So when you actually run into that person at the conference, like there's almost a history to this relationship. And that's been amazing, actually. Like it doesn't take, well, if you have your assistant, it doesn't take you any time. Uh, <laughs> but generally kind of a very small investment and you know that they're speakers. So they're already kind of qualified or at least on your level-ish. Um, and you have their bias. So you can see who's right for you and who's not right for you. And then you almost have like a, like a list of, okay, I'm going at this conference, I'm speaking. And then I want to talk to this person, this person, this person. And then it just kind of goes because they're speaking at other conferences and those conferences are looking for people. It's just kind of growing a network. Uh, within kind of the, I'm going to call it the speaking community and thought leadership community. That's awesome, man. I, I love how you spoke in all those countries. What, what do you think was the uh, most nerve wracking conference to speak at? Was there one that you're just like, Oh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous at this one. I, the one, this, the conferences I've spoken at, I mean, some I get, uh-huh. I don't know. I think it depends on the, the audience or it depends on the type of conference, but I'm just like, if I know there's going to be more people there, I get more nervous, as, but as long as I'm prepared, I'm good, but I still, it's normal to have those nerves, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. Cause I come from like a, a dance background where I've performed yeah. either dance or circus um, in front of huge audiences. So like the one in uh, Ireland, they said it was like equivalent to their Ted, their version of Ted. Uh, and it was a huge theater, beautiful theater, like hundreds of people, maybe more than hundreds. Um, but you know, you're on stage, you don't effectively, you don't see them. You just see the lights. Um, I want to say the most nerve wracking one was the one in Hong Kong, mm. which is because we set up and then it didn't work. Cause again, we're doing like, we have our camera, it's watching the speaker and everything's interactive. Right. So it's not one of those things where like you can fake it because literally movement doesn't interact. Um. Anyway, it turned out that like one of their techs wasn't paying attention, unplugged us like really dumb thing. Oh, no. Um, but geez, that was like nerve wracking. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was speaking at multiple places within that conference. So I had to do that. And then like two hours to speak there. Um, it, it taught me like a lesson that we need to add a little like alert within our app that if something gets disconnected, like alert us, hey, this just got disconnected. We never needed it before because no one ever like unplugged us. But, you know, mm. learning experience and huge <laughs> nerve wrack because like everything looks to be working on our end. Like what's going on? Mm. and people are sitting down on stage cameras are going like it's yeah not a good time to to troubleshoot yikes uh so uh Tammuz, what's the future of 
uh, you know, experiential design and, and what's the future of Zuzor? Uh, the future we're building right now is, okay, so I'm going to go back a step and just give context again, right? We said right now, um, a brand wants a big interactive activation. They will go to an agency. They will pay like a small fortune. The agency is going to spend months building it. Um, I'm going to give you a great example. Uh, LAX, huge airport. Hmm. They spent like many millions hiring this amazing company called Moment Factory, which does absolutely beautiful work um, to build like a very beautiful interactive installation for them. Um, and I spoke on a panel with the, one of the head guys at Moment Factory in the, where were we? We were in Florida somewhere. Uh, and he said, we built them like this beautiful, I'm going to call it like a Porsche or Charlotte, like amazing car, but they didn't know how to drive the car. So the third day, like the airport's open, right? Moment Factory is there for months prepping it, building it. Airport opens, okay, like their contract's up, like keep running the space, we're good, here you go. The people actually running uh, LAX were not experts enough to actually manage the system. So within a few days, they just turn it off and put like a, a video stream. So you think in your head like, oh my God, this is crazy. They spend a fortune, it's beautiful and interactive and no one can run it because their team is not gonna invest in learning how to manage it. Um, so that's the future we're trying to change. We want this to be extremely approachable where literally anybody can go log in, even on our website, not even download the app. There's like a full app and then there's a version you can use on a browser. Um, customize everything, not in months, but literally in days. We spend a lot of time um, the kind of the experiential design element of how can you put in the assets, how can you do your own assets, how can it be immediate, how can, if I need to customize it, can I do it in minutes? And how can it be that if I don't know what I'm doing, I can still do it in minutes. So mm -hmm. that's the whole point. We're trying to bring it down that anybody who's learning, you know, Photoshop or graphic design, Suzer is going to be in their curriculum. So everybody can start using mm -hmm. experiential media um, and have it be so easy to install. It can just be everywhere. So that's where we're going. We're going for it to be truly kind of ubiquitous. This is, I think this is going to be the new standard. Like, I think we're wow. going to soon be surprised when stuff isn't interactive. That's cool, man. No, that, that sounds great. I, I agree with that. I think, I, I think things are really changing with technology. I think it's just, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I entirely agree with this. I've, I've heard some, I, I don't remember who mm -hmm. this was. I think there was a multiple people that have said this about attention and they say attention is like the new currency. It's like the new gold. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't, it's like, I'm not that I a hundred percent agree with it, but I don't disagree with it either. Cause everyone's seeking that attention. Um, you know, and, and it's hard to, it's hard to keep it. So I think what you guys are doing is, is amazing. And, and just the level of, um, interactivity, um, that, that you guys are, you know, are, um, you know, creating with this, with, the, with your software platform. Oh, sorry. Um, and essentially, um, yeah, I think what you guys are doing is awesome. So I'm very excited yeah. for the future of Zuzor. I'll definitely keep up with you guys and, yeah. and see what you're doing. And I hope uh, everyone that's listening is going to check you guys out, but before we oh, finish, look. yeah, go uh -huh. ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I can add one moment, just, yes. just a thought that's kind of interesting about attention. Uh, the way we phrase it, actually less attention, or actually, perfectly honest, it depends on who we're talking to. Um, but a lot of times we phrase it almost less attention and more Instagramable moments. There's this interesting phenomenon where people are choosing, it's called kind of placemaking, 
people are choosing to go to places that are more Instagrammable. And when I say people, I'm talking Gen Z and millennials. Um, so we say that, yes, you're, there's attention, but there's also that Instagrammable moment. So people are interacting with your brand and recording pictures or videos and sharing them on social media. Mm. So you're getting that attention at the moment, and then you're getting that visibility online, and then you're getting access to their, their network. So it's kind of organically, your brand will get in front of all of their friends in ideally a very engaging and kind of visually stimulating way. Um, so it is attention, but you know, there's attention. And then if we're talking marketing and storytelling, there's kind of Instagram, Instagram ability is what we right, call it. Right. Or Snapchat or TikTok, all of those. Um, so it's also a thing to kind of keep uh, somewhere in the back of your mind as you go through kind of the, the planning stages. Absolutely. And like I said before, I think what Zuzor is doing, uh, it's taking storytelling, visual storytelling to another level. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I'm a big advocate for that because I love storytelling. I think, I think everyone has a story to tell, uh, and sometimes it's how you tell it. Right. hundred percent agree. You know, yeah. so we can, we can be here. We can have the most craziest, amazing, most inspirational stories. You went from rags to riches and all this stuff, right? You know, the typical story, right. but, um, uh, you know, but it, it, sometimes you could have, you know, I, I think you and I are, are, we're, we're normal, normal, regular guys. Right. And, and. And, um, you know, I, I think we have, you know, you have a, a good story to tell, but it's important how you approach it, how you tell it, mm -hmm. right? And how you engage yeah. with your audience. Because it's, at the end of the day, it's not about us, it's about them. Yeah, they have to be the, the hero in some way. In the They're story. the hero. That's exactly right. Yep, that's it, man. So, no, oh, this is awesome. I really appreciate it. So, before we uh, conclude, uh, Tammuz, the last question I always ask is, in regards to your story, right? How would you define it in one word? How would you define your story in one word? It could be your career, it could be your life. I'll let you choose, but in one word, how would you define it? I'm gonna cheat because right above you, it says it: determination. Okay. You have it literally right behind I you. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, determination or ambition. One of those words. Awesome. Cool, man. Well. I really appreciate it, Tammuz. This has been this has been fun. I think uh, everyone's going to find a lot of value from this, and and it can resonate with them and and uh, really help them out. So, uh, where can everyone okay. find you? Yeah, where where is um, uh, you know, so your website URL and your social media handles? Yeah, so you can always find us online at suzor.co. That's z-u-z-o-r.co. C-o, no m, just .co. You know, very techie. Uh, and your Feel free to always reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Tamuz Dubnov, um, which is literally LinkedIn and then backslash Tamuz Dubnov. Uh, we're on Twitter, um, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're on all those, those things. So feel free to follow us. Awesome. No, I appreciate it. This has been fun. Like I said, thank you so much, Tamuz. It's, it's been great thank having you. you. And, um, you know, we'll definitely stay connected. And uh, I, I think everyone's going to find, like I said, uh, a lot of value from this, uh, from this episode and, and all that you've accomplished and everything that you're going to accomplish in the future. I know this is the beginning for you. So you got a lot to do. Always a journey. It's just a journey. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So uh, I really appreciate it. And thanks again Thank for you. everyone for listening. This is Michael Giorgio, your host on Tales from the Pros. And until next time. Thank you, guys. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also follow our social media. Uh, there are links somewhere around here, but uh, we really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for all the support, and I'm going to be giving you awesome content continuously, and we look forward to seeing you soon.